This is a Dude Studios production. And hey, I'm the Dude. Welcome back to Hey Bartender Podcast. I'm your bartender for the night. I'm the dude, so that's what you call me. Sit back, relax, let's have a drink together. Well, I can't have a drink, I'm on duty. Well, no, this is a podcast, but I'm going to pretend like it, because where I used to work, you couldn't drink on the job. Oh, what do I feel like talking about tonight? Oh, right, I gotta get the drink special out of the way. This week's drink special, just because I am a huge Beatles fan and I happen to run across this recipe... Let me take you down, because I'm going to Strawberry Fields Forever. Yes, this drink is called Strawberry Fields Forever. How you make it, it's a half ounce of brandy, two ounces of peach schnapps filled with club soda, served in a highball glass with ice. Sounds pretty good. Sounds like it keeps to the song. Uh, Well, actually, I have no idea what the hell Strawberry Fields Forever means or anything like that about the song. I just know I love the sound of it. So, that's the way it is. So anyway, this podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about music in the bars. Yeah, music is kind of my thing. Uh, well, that, that was my escape. That was, uh, that was the way I used to relax pretty much all the time. You know, most of my uh, customers, they all knew me enough where they couldn't talk to me about uh, sports. They couldn't talk to me about politics because I knew nothing about it. I never kept up with CNN. I never watched ESPN because, well, ESPN was always uh, on the TV late, really late at night. But when we got to about the seventh run through on Sports Center late at night, it was time to change the channel. I turned it over to a mu- uh, one of the music channels. Yeah, uh, that's right, uh, kids, all you uh, people probably under 30. MTV and VH1 actually used to play music videos. And it wasn't all just Beyonce and Jay-Z. They actually played an assortment of different music. It was weird. And, you know, uh, you actually had a selection. You could actually stop and actually have a chance to see your favorite band that um, might be topping the charts at that point in time. But anyway, I digress. I'm going to actually go off, way off on that a little bit later. You know, it was about my, um, my customers. Once they realized, oh, I can't talk to him about the Seahawks. I can't talk to him about the new foreign policy and uh, or anything like that. I got to talk about pop culture with this guy because this guy knows. You know, I've heard him make like three references to Monty Python in the last ten minutes. Uh, yet uh, yesterday he was making references to the Beatles. Uh, the other day I overheard him talk about the entire story on why Billy Joel wrote Piano Man. It's an awesome story. You guys should look it up. To me, it's an awesome story. To him, it's probably not that big of a deal, big of a deal, but I really appreciate the story, and I'm not going to get into it right now. But they, we used to talk about music. Now, my really favorite customers, they would get into the conversations with me about music, and it became our thing. And the... My first customer that I'll talk to uh, talk about is the customer's name was Rusty. Now, there's a story behind Rusty uh, because when I first met him, I 
just, I just sat there and I was just talking to him. He was just a long haired, big mustache, skinny guy for all I knew. And he and I started, started talking because he saw me wearing my Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band t-shirt. I wasn't working that night. I just happened to be at the bar. And then he looks at my t-shirt and says, nice t-shirt. How much do you know about the Beatles? And I said, oh, quite a bit. And he goes, okay, pop quiz, hotshot. Other than Hoffner, what other kind of bass guitar did Paul McCartney use? I said, uh, Rickenbacker. And he shakes my hand and he goes, okay, here's another test. What's Paul McCartney's real name? And I said, uh, John, because his real name and uh, his birth name is John Paul McCartney. And then he shook my hand again, and we became great friends from there on out. Now, the, the backstory behind him was that everybody believed that he was the former drummer for Foghat. And something in the back of my head just allowed it, uh, allowed him to go along with that story. We never talked about uh, his so-called days with Foghat, but he was never with Foghat. And I kind of knew it. I looked it up uh, a lot later. And because at the, at that point in time, I really didn't know enough or didn't have access to the internet right away. And I'd constantly forget to look it up and found out that he, no, he never played for fog hat. The, uh, the original drummer for fog hat, Roger Earl is still playing with fog hat. So it was, it wasn't hard for me to find, but Rusty was a good guy. I mean, uh, but he and I can talk, could talk about music all night long. We talked about everything, especially when it came to rock and roll, the small faces, the Beatles, the stones, we even talked about a couple bands that I really don't listen to all that much, like Grand Funk Railroad or, you know, just the any little bit of trivia that he and I could come up with. And we also even talked about how to play the stuff on guitar and talked about drumming methods. And like Keith Moon, yes, he was as crazy as he seemed. And he told me a couple uh, rock and roll stories that you know, maybe some of it's true. Maybe he did know Joe Walsh at one time. Judging by Joe Walsh, I don't think Joe Walsh would remember, well, anything. But let's let's not go there. Uh, I'm going on, I don't know anything about Joe Walsh. I'm going by the character that he played on the Drew Carey show. You know, completely drugged out guitar player uh, over the hill. I don't know if he's actually like that in real life, but it's fun to think so. Eventually, uh, you know, I... I got kind of bored with the whole idea that he said that he was the former drugger, drummer for Foghat. And so I just started talking to him about it. And I I said, the biggest audience that I've ever played live music, because back in high school I was a drummer, the biggest audience that I've ever played in front of was 200 kids. And that was a rush. But I could never imagine what it's like to play in front of, of a stadium or an arena or where, wherever Foghat plays uh, when they were in their big heyday playing slow ride. And he said, it's an incredible rush. And he says, but the difference is that 200 people, there is possibility that you can spot people in the audience when there's over 2000. Yeah. You're going to miss a couple faces here and there. It's, you know, kind of loses the personal aspect of playing and you know he's right uh, i've heard 
dozens of bands all over the place say the same thing. Metallica, they just out of the blue once in a while, I guess, go to a small dive bar and play some of their music or play covers. You know, it's and just because they want to get back to their roots. They want to get see feel the rush of playing for a small crowd again because you can tell when a small crowd is not happy with your performance. But, you know, Rusty, he and I, we never hung out after uh, after work. In fact, I never did. But he was a nice guy, and he made even the shittiest nights tolerable because, uh, you know, I'd break up a fight or have some kind of unruly customer and then eventually wrap up that little problem. But then he and I would start talking about the song Black Water by the Doobie Brothers. And, you know, because who doesn't like to hear some funky Dixieland? Pretty mom can take me by the hand. And, and he talked to me about the chord progression in there. I still don't remember how to play it. I don't think I can, if, even if I tried. But I could talk about any music with him. It, uh, it was fun. And it was just my kind of guy when it came to just flat out talking about rock and roll. I never gave him really any satisfaction to the whole idea that he was the former drummer for fog hat. Well, I'll take, I take the, uh, take the never, I take that back when I say I never hung out with him, uh, outside of the bar. There was a couple times where I went and jammed with him and a couple of his friends. The first time we all jammed together was a lot of fun, but then the second time, uh, he brought in this really talented, but really huge asshole of a guitar player. And I just said, look, I can't play with you guys because I'm not on his level pointing at the new guitar player. Cause he was actually very good, but his attitude matched it. And, uh, and to have an attitude like that, in my opinion, you need to have at least, I don't know, three gold records out. You need to be considered for the rock and roll hall of fame. You can't go around playing dive bars just and never releasing an album and just saying, oh, well, I don't do it for the money. I do it for myself. And, you know, that impression of him is actually pretty good. Anyway, you know, I did hang out with Rusty just because I was fascinated. I was interested. I wanted to uh, really see if he could, he had the chops to play music the way he talked about it in his past. And I found out after he left town for his own personal reasons, I found out much, much later that there was proof positive he was never the drummer for Foghat. In fact, his roommate at the time threw him under the bus and said he was never the drummer for Foghat. And I said, come on, I know. And I knew that because I asked him one night, why the hell would you leave when Foghat is still out there touring? I mean, sure, I'm. you might be sick of playing Slow Ride by now. And he goes, oh, I got in a skiing accident, ruined my shoulder, and I can't play the drums anymore. And I said, well, okay, that's understandable, I guess. And his roommate threw him under the bus saying that he uh, never played for Foghat. The way the story started is at a bar that they previously hung out at, there was a Foghat album in there, and people started making the comparisons between him and the picture of Roger Earl on the cover, and he just kind of went with it. He's just like, Okay, yeah, that's me. Because people started coming up to him going, oh my God, you are the drummer of the my favorite band of all time. And sometimes people kind of need that. They want to believe that they meet their idols or 
something because admit it, it makes you feel really good. Even it piss you off a lot later. I'm sure that you didn't meet your idol if you've actually f- figured it out later. But you know, at the time when I'd see people go up to him and say, "How does it feel to uh, be one of the best bands ever?" and he would just play along with it, and you know, as if it was section na- second nature, as if it was actually him. But it put these huge smiles on the customer on my customers' faces and. The, you know, they got to uh, go and tell a story to their friends at work. I met the drummer for Foghat last night. And eh, Rusty was a good guy. So I I just let him play the rock and roll fantasy. Why not? And Rusty, he was a big Heineken drinker uh, and uh, Labatt's Blue. Yeah, he it had to be uh, had to be in a bottle. And he preferred the, the short bottles of the Heineken just because uh, less air bubbles. But he liked the taste of Labatt's. That was the big thing. Another one of my uh, favorite customers that pretty much I could talk about anything rock and roll. Now, when it came to rock and roll with this guy, he was a he got into the real obscure stuff with me, and you know, not not necessarily the stuff that nobody's ever heard of or the bands that really didn't make it big or as big as the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, uh, but were yeah, kind of known, you know, just, just known. You might know their song. You might not that type. And you come across on the radio. If you're the right age group, you said, Oh yeah, I remember that song. So who were they again? I don't really know much about them. That type of thing. His name was Jeff. Nice guy. A little bit on the moody side, like not angry, but you could, uh, it was easy to make him happy. All you had to do was talk about music. And, since that is my speciality, my forte, that was no problem for me. He was actually a uh, drummer for a local Portland band called Johnny Limbo and the Lugnuts. And funny thing on how he and I met is at one of the other bars that I worked at, I was, I had a late night group of people come in and this woman happened to be wearing a t-shirt that said Johnny Limbo and the Lugnuts on it. And I said, Hey, Johnny Limbo, uh, I used to date his daughter and then uh, I used to date the drummer's daughter. And then all of a sudden the guy sitting next to her picks his head up off the bar. His head was on the bar for some reason. And he looks at me and he goes, I don't have a daughter. And then as if it was, he and I were in the middle of a conversation and didn't skip a beat. And I said, your stepdaughter, as if I'd known him, I didn't know him. I just quickly said your stepdaughter. And he goes, Oh, you know her. And I said, yeah. And that's where our friendship started just because we had that in common. Uh, we knew, both knew the same person. Now, the, the girl I only took out maybe two or three times, and I, uh, knowing me, I probably screwed it up by saying something or not doing something. Uh, so, uh, But that's all in the past now. That was, Christ, I don't know, 25 years ago maybe. <laughs> she, she and I worked at McDonald's together. I don't need to explain that. But Jeff and I became friends from there on out. And anytime I saw him, uh, I well, his nickname in the band was Mongo. So it, it was always a joke to me. To Every time he came in, I would uh, start quoting Blazing Saddles. Like, Candy Graham for Mongo! Candy Graham for Mongo! And then he'd, he'd be like, Mongo, nothing but pawn in, in Game of Life. You know, he, we'd make that, you know, do that whole... Uh, blazing saddles uh, riff back and forth it was hilarious to me 
Uh, probably not so much to the people who had never seen Blazing Saddles. But yeah, the other people that had seen Blazing Saddles, they were laughing too. If you haven't seen Blazing Saddles, you can find it on one of the streaming services right now, I'm sure. Look it up. One of Mel Brooks' best movies. It, great comedy. Jeff came in, and he'd usually... Well, his the beer that he would order would uh, be random. It, it, it just all depend on what he was in the mood for that night. Sometimes it was something pale. Sometimes it was a lager. Sometimes uh, something dark. Every once in a while, a shot would come with it. So it was just all dependent on on him. And I could talk about music with him. Well, he and I talked about everything, but music was always my favorite thing to talk about with him because I could bring up bands like The Small Faces and, and you know talk about songs like Ichiku Park or uh, Lazy Sunday, and he would totally be right there with me. We'd talk about him playing for Johnny Limbo and the Lug Nuts because Johnny Limbo was or maybe still is, I, I don't know if they're still playing. They were like a, say, 60s, early 60s revival group, late 50s, early 60s stuff. And I guess Mongo's big song, he got to sing uh, one of the songs during their set list. Uh, he sang uh, Chantilly Lace by the Big Bopper, and oh boy, he was proud of that. He, he talked about that all the time. But Jeff and I, he and I would uh, talk about mostly other drummers. As as he's sitting there talking about his dr- having his drink, we talk about drummers like Keith Moon, Ringo Starr, Mitch Mitchell, and you know every classic drummer that we could possibly think of. And you know I talk to him about things like, hey, well you're on stage. Did you ever, uh, you know, knock the knock a cymbal over or anything like that? And he says, no, I've never really done that. Uh, that you know, that's kind of a Keith Moon thing. He uh, and besides Johnny Limbo, we don't play any Who songs. And I said, "Oh, that's kind of a shame," because I've met other drummers who uh, come close to that. Let's just say I'll talk about that some other time. But Mongo, he never overdrank. He'd do his rounds around the uh, the town. He might go have one at one bar because there were like four or five different bars in that town. But he'd go have a beer uh, beer at one bar, beer and a shot at another. If he liked the atmosphere, he'd stay at that bar. Otherwise, he'd just pick up and move on to the next bar and then go home. I felt sorry for him every once in a while because he was a really nice guy, but had troubles with relationships. He had been divorced a couple times, but he was the nicest guy. And I start, you know, had to start wondering... You know, a guy this nice that things like this keep happening to him. You know, what kind of luck is a guy like me going to have? But he eventually did find somebody uh, somebody that he wanted to be with and wanted to be with him. And, you know, I, uh, after I quit, uh, quit bartending, I ran into him a couple times, and it was like wearing an old hat. And immediately, he said, hey, Jeff, how you doing? Hey, Anthony, how's it going? Or it'd be like, hey, Jeff, how you doing? And just, hey, how you been? And we'd start talking about music. And it would go right back uh, right back to where everything was, uh, everything was at. Bring up some kind of little tidbit of information. My f- absolutely favorite thing that I looked forward to most nights is his very own field sobriety test. Before he would get up from the bar stool he would make sure that he was sober enough to drive by playing wipeout with his hands on top of the bar. 
and you know, you know, everybody's like, nah, 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 you know, you know, and uh, he played Wipeout on the bar, and if he could play play the solo for Wipeout, he said, okay, I'm good to go home. Uh, unfortunately, uh, due to issue uh, health issues, he he's passed away. But you know, uh, every once in a while, I do think about the guy, and uh, I hear stories uh, about how his final moments or his final couple of years, he found a woman that he completely fell in love with. They were happy and he pretty much had the life, uh, had the life he was looking for kind of, I'm not sure, you know, they talk, people talk about what their perfect life is, but everybody's got that little thing in the back of their head that, you know, would make their life even sweeter, but they take what they uh, wait, what they got because they're reasonably content. Don't want to be too happy, I guess. And he passed away. I think about our conversations all the time, how much we had in common. And I really hope that uh, he's out there somewhere, probably having, uh, having a drink in a shot, just like he would do coming in my bar. But he's sitting there with the greats, Keith Moon, Jimi Hendrix, John Lennon, uh, and, you know, having a jam session. You know, if, if there's an afterlife, uh, that, well, I don't know about him, but that would be a great afterlife for me where I can actually play the songs that I've always wanted to and be able to jam with them with the guys that originally did them. That would be awesome. But most of the time you can't get a, uh, like, like I've told you guys before, there's over 7 billion different personalities in this world. And even though you have music in common. You don't always see eye to eye when it all comes into music, especially in a bar because in a bar scene, you don't get a lot of, uh, what the top 40 is, which is completely cool with me. Cause I think it would drive me crazy to be in a bar shooting pool and I have to hear crazy in love or actually it has from time to time where I've had to listen to top 40 and, dubstep when I'm in a regular bar now in a club where everybody is into the whole dancing and all that sort of thing. That's fine. There's a time and a place for that, honestly. But when I'm just trying to have a quiet drink with a couple friends, sit there and talk and then have to listen to Daft Punk, nothing against them. Just like I said, time and a place. It ruins the atmosphere for me. I want to get up and leave the best jukeboxes out there that I've come across. Now I'm talking about regular old jukeboxes. Well, not, not too old. These jukeboxes that I'm talking about had CDs in them. Nowadays in most bars that do offer music, they have the MP3 download stuff. Another uh, really groovy way for the MP3 companies to gouge you for more money. Cause you used to be able to get five songs for a buck on any jukebox. Now it practically costs you a buck for one. That uh, actually annoys the piss out of me, but you do have access to a lot more music. So it, to wake up my customers sometimes, uh, I would walk over to the jukebox late at night and go through the music. And my cook actually called me out on it that I had a set of songs that I'd like to hear when I'm on shift. Um, just on my Tuesday nights, cause that was the only night where I bartended solo. So I would, when we had the regular CD jukebox, I'd play 
Tuesday's Gone by Leonard Skinner. I'd play something off Abbey Road. I'd play, you know, you know some Metallica. It was just a cool jukebox that had all that stuff. And I found, in my worthless opinion, when it comes to music, because like, music is like a fingerprint to everybody. Everybody might like the same stuff, but always a little bit differently. What was it Uma, Thur- Uma Thurman said in Pulp Fiction? You can like Elvis and you can like the Beatles, but you always like one more than the other. You know, like I've told you guys a thousand times, I'm a Beatles guy. And not that I don't appreciate everything Elvis did for rock and roll, but I prefer the Beatles over Elvis. The most successful jukeboxes during that time when I was in my 20s were the ones that kind of stayed in, say, like the mid-90s, 80s, uh, a little bit from the 80s, rock and roll from the 70s and the 70s, 80s and 90s seem to be the most successful jukeboxes that uh, were always out there. I had one boss that decided that she wanted to attract younger customers. I don't know what she was thinking because she put the damn Spice Girls in a bar jukebox and I said, what are you trying to do? You want younger customers, but we can't serve that kind of customer. She eventually wised up after the, after I set it up to spice up your life over and over and over again for about an hour and a half. She eventually had that CD taken out. I don't, uh, she might not know that was me. Anyway, there's a, uh, there's a chance she could be listening to this podcast and know this now, but you know, that's the way I screwed, screwed with some people is just to play some off the wall music. And some people really got into that. And uh, I mean, there was one bar that my friends and I would go over on lunch hour when I was at another job and I'd go through there and I'd see that, oh, they got Master of Puppets. Okay, we're playing Master of Puppets. We're playing some Beatles. We're going to play, you know, it's just, you know, and some high energy stuff. And, but every once in a while, I'd screw with them by playing Lion Sleeps Tonight if it happened to be in there, which in that jukebox it was. Of course, then there was another guy that had to top uh, top me by playing I Believe in Miracles. And we were just, even, Everybody in the bar just <laughs> turned and looked, what the fuck? And he just sat there giggling. You know, that's that to me in that point in time was the makings of a successful jukebox. Maybe have something a little bit current, but if you're in a regular bar, not a dance club, not a show hall of some kind, a regular bar that's dark, pool tables, uh, well, they don't allow smoking anymore, but that it kind of goes along with it. You got to have good old fashioned rock and roll. That's just the way it should go. That's my worthless opinion. Of course, there are probably thousands of bartenders out there that are disagreeing with me right now. You know, I don't care. That's the way I liked my bar to run. Then there was another customer that would come in all the time. Uh, she wasn't my biggest fan at first because uh, I mentioned before I poured my drinks the way the books told you to one shot. I made uh, one shot in uh, vodka crayon. You got one shot vodka crayon. If all you asked for was a vodka crayon. And she actually got mad at me at first. I was saying, did you put any alcohol in this? And I said, well, of course. The vodka crayon, one shot, filled with crayon. That's it. Well, usually when I come here, I uh, they I can actually taste the alcohol. And I, you know, that, and that's one of those moments where, like I was saying before, 
I don't know you. And so what makes it so special that you get more alcohol? It was just one of those things. But she would always come in ordering a vodka crayon. I actually lost her for about a month. Then all of a sudden she started coming back in because I think at the bar she was working at that she just all of a sudden realized that there wasn't enough time to hang out at the other bar because the other bar closed at 1. My bar closed at 2.30. So she had to come back into my bar. But I tried to treat her nice. I tried to you know, work it in to make it seem like I was extra nice to her. Eventually, one time she uh, got mad and said, um, I need you to put more cranberry in this. And I turned, I made a big deal about that shit. I was like, what? More cranberry? You used to yell at me for having not having not enough vodka. I know. And she, but she wanted to make sure that she didn't have too much alcohol smell on her. It was actually kind of funny. But even she and I would talk about music. Now, her backstory was that she was a exotic dancer uh, back in the day. So I had a few questions for her. You know, what guy wouldn't? You you used to take your sta- clothes off on stage. I used to watch women take their clothes off on stage. Still did. Still do. She and I started talking about music because I wanted to know what her preferences were because uh, I knew in most strip clubs that they had DJs and I didn't know if the DJs had a set list or they just played whatever they wanted for half the song, maybe a third of the song, or, you know, what happened. And she said that she had particular songs and she'd always asked to play those, asked the DJ to play those particular songs for. Her. And one song, which was part, actually part of the three songs that she would play almost every night when she'd come into my bar. Stranglehold by Ted Nugent. And it's like, I've never even fathomed the idea of a woman strip teasing to Stranglehold by Ted Nugent. That just wouldn't have been my first choice. But she said she loved uh, she loved Ted Nugent, and so so she liked to uh, like to do her dance and pull work to that song. And if she didn't have a boyfriend that I completely respected. I probably would have requested, you know, I'm going to have to see some proof, but I respected her boyfriend. I respected her. So I only thought about it a little once in a while when I'm home alone anyway, but she would come in, order her vodka crayon and then go over to the jukebox. We'd hear stranglehold by Ted Nugent. We'd hear anesthesia pulling teeth, uh, Metallica, Cliff Burton's most bitch and bass solo ever, and Little Wing, Stevie Ray Vaughan. I had no problems with any of those songs. I love those songs. Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan's uh, instrumental of Little Wing uh, is incredible. I love the Jimi Hendrix version, but the way you could feel that Stevie Ray Vaughan was putting himself into that guitar, maybe he wasn't, and he was just naturally that gifted but man was that good and just the way the guitar sounds especially when he hits that high note at the at the big crescendo ah love it but she and i didn't get along at first but eventually she and i became somewhat friends when i started tweaking my drinks uh, especially for her and she was uh, she was cool and she was always really cool about talking about her days 
as a dancer. And in fact, one night she brought in a picture to show me of her in one of her outfits before dancing, damn it, um, and showed it to me. And I was like, wow. And yeah, I like, and she, yeah, when it came, when it came down to it, she had no problem talking about, she embraced the idea that she, she was never ashamed uh, that she was a dancer. In fact, at one point I heard that she was going to go back into it. I heard the place. I think I, yeah, I actually went to the place where I heard she was dancing because mostly, well, it was a poor excuse to see her naked. Mostly I wanted to see her reaction, what she would react like if she saw me walk in. Not that I'm all that special, but yeah, just all of a sudden see me. And if she offered me a lap dance, (laughs) of course I'm going to take it. Come on. But when it comes down to it, I mean, talking music was always my way of keeping the peace in the bar because I don't, I'm sure it happens. Yeah, from one uh, once in a while, I'm sure it happens that uh, people get in arguments of who's better, uh, the Who or Led Zeppelin, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. And I have my opinions. I do respect other people's opinions too. It's just the stuff that they prefer might not be my cup of tea, but I can respect it. And they can actually, in most cases, give me their argument and try to sway me to you know try to listen to some of their stuff, like. Uh, Matchbox 20, when it was that whole I want to push you around stuff, I couldn't get into it. it. I was just like, you know, no, I'm tired of this emo thing. It's 3 a.m. I must be lonely. I think I was actually having a little trouble with the lyrics because, it, you know, it was uh, Rob Thomas saying, you know, I want to push you around. Okay, I'm not really all for pushing women around. I'm I'm assuming he was talking about a woman. That's bad for me to assume that, but I'm gonna going to anyway. Uh, it's three a.m. and must be lonely. Okay, booty calls. Uh, never tried it myself, just because. Well, I'm afraid of rejection, but uh, you know, I just wasn't into Matchbox Twenty. Everybody else was. Then that's all. That's all fine and dandy. But when Matchbox Twenty changed it up a little bit and came out with their song. Uh, bright lights and disease. It was uh, somebody played bright lights for me. And I was just like, Holy crap. This is actually a very, very good song. I kind of like this and you know, it's raw, it's powerful. And then disease that uh, it brought me back to, well, like it wasn't like eighties, but that era between the, in rock and roll. Now I'm not talking about like skid row or warrant or something like that, but in regular rock and roll between the eighties and nineties where it was just music, you know, uh, not all the ramps and the explosions and the music videos. It was on the long hair and the spandex and all that, uh, all that stuff. It was just regular rock and roll. And I was really impressed. I didn't think that, Matchbox 20, I thought they were going to be uh, just another set of group that played the same, you know, emo stuff and uh, on the dark, on the dark side of everything. And I'm not really into that. Another friend talked uh, talked me into listening to the Goo Goo Dolls. 
Now, mostly when it came to the Goo Goo Dolls, if it came on in my bar, that song Iris came on in my bar, I would have to stab myself in the leg with a fork to not automatically delete that song because it was so overplayed on the radio. Sure, City of Angels was a pretty good movie. Meg Ryan, Nicolas Cage did an excellent job, but it just the song got way overplayed and I couldn't handle it anymore. Which also got to be kind of a got to be kind of a bummer because the new MP3 uh, jukeboxes you can download damn near anything that the, their licensing allows. I when I first tried them, I don't know if it's changed yet or not, but I tried to find the Beatles on there and they weren't licensed to have the Beatles yet. So, of course, me wanting to listen to the Beatles at the time, I'd cheat and play songs that people covered from the Beatles, like Aerosmith's "Come Together." You know, just so I could get my Beatles fix. If you're listening to music in the bar and you're choosing stuff on the jukebox, don't play extended live versions. Knock that shit off because was it that uh, Led Zeppelin has a live version of Dazed and Confused that's like a half hour long, but the first 15 minutes is just the bass part. Do, 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 do. And that's all it is. It, for like 15 minutes. And I was, I was like wondering, if, is John Paul Jones standing on stage wondering where the other guys are at? Are they, all the other guys doing lines in the bathroom and they forgot that there's a show going on? It, it, you know, Just don't do that, for fuck's sake. If you know the song's going to be a half hour long, unless it's interesting and people, other people like it, don't play it. I mean, you're just torturing people. And there are other people that want to listen to music too. Another helpful hint in the bar. And it's also a way to annoy people and get them out of your bar. If you really want to do not play a song over and over and over and over and over dozens of times in a row that just pisses people off. I've told you about that cup one couple that they came into my bar. And for some reason, I guess his wife thought it was lucky while she was playing video poker to listen to you two's with or without you. They just played it over and over and over. Pretty soon I was sick of that shit and I said, no, 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 no. And I kept hitting the eject button until finally another song came up because I started getting complaints. Other people were like, I put in a song like a half hour ago. And I said, okay, yeah, I'm putting a stop to this. The guy came up to the bar spitting fire saying, "Uh, I put all that music in the jukebox and I quickly handed him five bucks. And I said, here's your money back. Don't do that. You know, don't play songs. Do you know how much money I bring into this bar? And I said, I don't really care. Just don't play that song over and over again. I love it when people try to uh, throw their weight around. You know how much money I bring into this bar? Uh, No. And honestly, don't care. Actually, let me check your tab. 12 bucks. That's how much money you've brought into the bar tonight. And looking at your wife, well, maybe you've probably put another 300 in the video poker machines, but... That's you. That's all you. Most of that goes because video poker machines, in my opinion, shouldn't count as bar income because majority of that goes to the state. It was almost a bad idea when I saw that. It was almost a put a knot in my stomach when I'd see that the jukebox got brand new CDs and we'd have a new album, new release by a new or or by a already existing popular band. And somebody would decide, I want to listen to 
the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Californication, a lot. I love that song. And it's just like once, maybe twice, but put a couple songs in between it. Don't do that, people. Now, when it comes to uh, things like like I complained about Freebird a long time ago because it seemed like it got played every half hour. I'd have a customer come in and they'd go through the jukebox and say, hey, Freebird, put that in their listing and then walk away. Then another customer would come in and, hey, I'm going to put some songs in the jukebox. Hey, Freebird, they put that song. I vetoed Freebird from the jukebox at another bar that I worked at. I said, get that Skinner album out of there right now. I don't care. You could... Go and find another compilation album that has Sweet Home Alabama on it or Simple Man, but let's get rid of Freebird just for a while, please. It's just played way too much around here. The rules of music, there are no rules of music in the bar. The rule of music is just to have a good time while you're at the bar. So, anyway, let's go to a commercial break. I just got some new stuff uh, uh, to do this podcast, so bear with me. I want to remind you guys, if you want to get your hands on any Hey Bartender Podcast merchandise, head over to HeyBartenderPodcast.com and you can find my blog, you can find some drink recipes, and pick yourself up a t-shirt. Help support the show by buying yourself a Hey Bartender Podcast t-shirt today. That was kind of cool. I can just push one button and I didn't have to say any of that. Anyway, coming up next... We have this episode's musical guest from Chico, California. We uh, from the album B Sides and Beginnings. Here is Jake Nolan with the song "Please Don't."
From the album B-Sides and Beginnings, that was Jake Nolan with his single, Please Don't. If you want to find out more about Jake Nolan, just get on to bandcamp.com. You can go there, buy the single. You can go check out his other music. You can also find ways to contact him and find out where he's playing next. Go find out right now. People, it is last call. Last call for alcohol, people. No, I am not going to play that fucking song closing time. Not that I have any problem with that band. They have a big hit record, and I don't. But I'm not going to play that just because it's a little, little frivolous. And you're probably already heading home or whatever. I don't know. You're in your car listening to this podcast. Maybe you might. I might be lucky enough you're sitting listening to me at home, in which thank you for letting me into your home. Now kick me out. Anyway, so let's uh, finish up the show by saying thank you to Jake Nolan for allowing me to use his song, Please Don't, from his album, B-Sides and Beginnings. Thank you for Pinterest for helping me find the drink Strawberry Fields forever. And I'd like to thank all my listeners. Remember, comment, share, like, subscribe, and visit www.heybartenderpodcast.com and help support the show by picking yourself up a t-shirt. But until next time, I just want to tell you, all you guys, lots of love, lots of sex, lots of happiness. And you know what? Don't take any shit from anybody. Good night.